Welcome to the Sisters of Industry, a weekly podcast where a shared bloodline combined with divergent professional experiences set the stage for great conversation on doing work that matters. With Laura's global corporate experience and Jen's nonprofit startup experience, the sisters will provide you with insights that can be used to help you lead and work better starting now. We're here to make you laugh, make you think, and make you more industrious in your professional and personal life. I'm Jen, and I had never heard of Adam Smith until I read this month's book, furthering my conviction that everyone needs to take at least one basic economics class as they enter adulthood. Consider my mind blown. I'm Laura. And I have studied both Smith and Friedman, but never was I prepared for managing supply chains with large cargo ships blocking, I don't know, the Suez Canal? That's physics, brown out. Clearly, we have a lot to talk about with this month's book review of Simon Sinek's The Infinite Game. It's hard to know the rules and how to make the next play when we don't understand the game we're playing, or more importantly, the game we want to play. Circumstances change all of the time, but both our convictions and our agility require an infinite perspective. After all, we're trying to live lives and do work that matters. Let's dig in. Laura, I have to tell you, I am really excited for this conversation because I underlined a lot of this book. I'm just going to be honest with that. I underlined a lot of this book, but I also laughed a lot because I found myself thinking about your work more than my work (laughs) as I was reading. And I don't know if that was just a corporate America versus nonprofit world as I don't deal with stockholders (laughs) and those kinds of things. But I am really excited to talk with you today about Simon Sinek's The Infinite game. So let's start here. What does it mean to play the infinite game? So the infinite game means, I think, you know, on the surface, obviously, it never stops. Unlike my highlighter that did stop because I was marking up this book so much as I read. Just (laughs) wow. Thank you, Simon Sinek, for this book. Um, The infinite game is all about continuing going. And I think beginning with the end in mind, the biggest point that Sinek is trying to make in this book, that if you are playing the infinite game in your workplace and even in life in general, the goal is not to win, but rather it is to keep playing. So that's just boom, right there. We're not trying to win, we're trying to keep playing. And it completely reframes the entire game that we've been engaged in all the time. So I think, Jen, we've been doing this huge series on rules of the Mm -hmm. game. And here we are closing the series with the bomb drop, I think, with this whole notion of the fact that generally speaking, when it comes to our professional lives, we aren't playing a finite game. We're in fact playing a game without a theoretical attempt to win, but rather a theoretical attempt to keep winning and continuing and moving forward to another day. I agree. And here's the thing, Laura. I felt called out in many ways, just 
even in the introduction of this book, especially because we did an entire episode last week about winning, about being able to define outcomes and know where we were. And now I still think there's a lot of merit to the conversation we had. But as soon as I started to dig into this book, he flips all of that on its head and says, if you're so caught up in winning, you're missing the fact that it doesn't end. We're trying to be part of something that goes way beyond us. And then how that plays out, even with performance in your company or your organization, was really fascinating to me. I I really liked, um, and we're going to get there, but later in the book as he ties performance to trust levels, and it all comes down to your mindset. Do you understand that there is not a finish line, but rather that you're part of something really big and really ongoing? And I thought he did a masterful job giving the – the indicators of when you're slipping into a finite mindset versus living into an infinite mindset. And so, Laura, I think that's what we need to do first as we try to do justice to this book, which we won't be able to do. But to do some justice to this book in this podcast is to talk through what he talks about. What is the difference between an infinite mindset and a finite mindset? Laura, why don't you kick us off? So I'm going to start right here with the one that just, I'm going to be honest, it called me out personally in my professional (laughs) life. One of the things that he really makes clear is that in an infinite mindset, which is what we're all going for, we are thinking about success beyond our days, which in, in a very literal sense, this is not about how well we do while I'm working here or even how well we do while I'm still on this earth collecting dividends. This is beyond my days, how well do we do, compared to a finite mindset that is about winning the quarter and hitting your metrics. So we've been doing this podcast for two years. People have been listening to me talk about (laughs) metrics and KPIs and quarters and all those things (laughs) that get my blood pumping. So while I still think that I'm not not gonna say that everything I do is wrong and just throw the baby out with the bathwater here. However, he definitely broke my brain with a reset here right out of the gate on how I think about this concept of win the quarter versus success beyond my days and then how I can re-rolled, re-mold. I'm so wound up, I can't even talk, Jen. <laughs> how I can remold some of my leadership approach and my thought processes around that concept. It definitely felt in many ways, I mean, it was a call out. It was convicting. However, I think it makes a very good case for the fact that when he wrote this book and as, you know, right now, It's important. This is not just you. This is not just a company. This is, this is huge. This is how companies on the whole and organizations function. We're trying to get through the next piece. Think about even through this last year with the pandemic, how many times did we look at the just do the next thing? And some of that is a mindset you have to have in times of emergency. But when you pull back and look at big picture, which is what I think Sinek kept trying to get us to do, was pull out of the immediate and ask yourself this question, you know, are you just trying to get by and what are you using as your motivating factors? And it really has to be this infinite mindset of success beyond 
your days? Are you building something that's going to last? And that that goes then to the next one, which we kind of dealt with even in setting this up. But an infinite mindset says that you're playing in order to keep playing. And a finite mindset says you're playing to win. And when you're playing to win, then you have to pick a finish line and an outcome, no matter how arbitrary it might be. Whereas when you've got a mentality of, I'm not playing to win, I'm playing to keep playing because, and this is going to come into play in, in a minute, because I want to keep pursuing this cause that matters. I want to be in this game for the long haul. And I love that because it's so important that Cynic really sets up for this, this concept of a just cause that we'll talk about more. And it's not, that's larger than the short-term win. He does make the point that particularly in like a manufacturing environment, you're still going to have to deal with KPIs and hitting targets and being on, um, you know, hitting con continuous improvement goals, et cetera. Those things are not invalidated by his concept. What he's really trying to get us to step back and do is say, how much of your decision-making and the work do you do is con given context by this infinite mm -hmm. mindset. So even if you have short-term things you need to go check off or ring the bell on, are they all in alignment with what you're trying to do in an, infin in an infinite way? And said differently, you're not making short-term decisions that disable your ability to go hit your long-term cause. And I think that's it. So it's that short-term, long-term um, kind of thought. To go with that, the infinite mindset says to us that money is a result, but it's not the purpose for what we do. Whereas if you have a finite mindset, you're thinking bottom line, money, money, money all the time. And while money is important, it is not always the only thing that leads us to our just cause. And I thought that was a really interesting way to help us kind of think about what we're in it for, so to speak. Absolutely. And he, I think he really does go for that, that big underlining piece that if your company's sole purpose lies on making money, it's only ever going to be a short-lived endeavor. And that was really huge for me. A another one that stands out for me in terms of the infinite versus the finite is that an infinite mindset revels in transformation through change in, in the way he lays that out, whereas a finite mindset avoids disruption. And again, this is one that has come up on the podcast before, but one of our cultural values at um, at Ashley Ridge is that we embrace change. And so this was one other, uh, you know, I told you there were plenty of others that I felt like were very convicting. This one was encouraging to me. This mindset that change is good, change is helpful, whereas a finite not only avoids disruption, it fears it. It thinks that if we're changing, what if it means we're no longer relevant? And it really kind of reframes this whole thing of if you're fighting for relevancy, then you're only ever going to exist in a certain realm. Whereas if you're looking at the opportunity to change and grow because of it, which means you're going to be not just fighting to stay relevant, but leading what is relevant for the moment? Does that make sense? Oh, I think it absolutely makes sense because it really just helps us. And we talked before about how um, 
decision-making filters come into play. And I think this is another one to add to the list that we've talked about in previous episodes. If you are focused on the infinite, the bigger, the broader, the cause, the thing that lives beyond you, you're going to make decisions in a different way than if you make them if you're focused on what's going to happen in the next 30, 60, 90 days. Um, so this whole thing of filtering for decisions, giving your work context is so important to everything that Cynic gave us in this infinite game book. Um, over the course of his pages. I think the other thing, when it comes to that concept of decision-making and how you um, move forward every day, is just the way in which your leadership gets framed. So again, to, to go to another one of the infinite versus finite, um, Cynic points out that in an infinite mindset, you're gonna be thinking about what's best for the global us. So not even necessarily for your company in this point in time, for the global us to include your suppliers, your customers, the market in which you serve, right? Whereas a mm -hmm. finite leader is going to be thinking about what is the best thing for me, for my organization, for my point in time. And I think it's summed up really well by a quote from Cynic in the book that says this, a finite minded leader uses the company's performance to demonstrate the value of their own career. An infinite minded leader uses their career to enhance the long-term value of the company. And I think about examples, some of which he points out in this particular book, particularly Jack Welsh and his time at GE, which comes up again and again in this book. And how much, frankly, Jack Welch always pointed to what GE did under his leadership, what the mm -hmm. metrics did under his leadership. Um, it was a very egocentric style of leadership, and it looked like winning. But hindsight's twenty twenty. I will say that out loud right now, but if you go back and you analyze that, you can see that there was finite thinking in the way he led. What is this generation of our company doing? How do we deliver the quarter for our shareholders and keep doing whatever it takes to hit those numbers? And I think we can all see what that did to GE, even if you're not a student of business, so to speak, you know that we're not for a government bailout um, when we had ec the economic crisis in 2000, what was it, 2008. 2008. Um, you know, had we not had that, GE would be in a lot of trouble um, to, even today had that not happened. So I think it's just interesting to kind of step back and look at those cause and effects and how there's some examples of how that finite versus infinite has played out in front of us, whether we've recognized it for what it is or not. Yeah, and interestingly, um, I'll just throw this in as, as almost a side comment, but I had an opportunity just a few years ago to sit in a small group conversation with another CEO who had actually worked directly under Jack Welch at, at GE. And then he went on in his career to be the CEO of Home Depot for a period of time. And it was interesting to listen to him because GE has been the classic example, even as a non-business person who hadn't read Smith or Friedman, I did know who Jack Welch was. And so listening, Thank you, Lord. right? So listening to him talk was really interesting because he talked both about the things he really admired in Welch, like Welch did demand performance and he did move the ball. He wasn't afraid of disruption, right? And, and I think Cynic points this out too, that the, this isn't a pure separation. Like you can be a, a leader with an infinite mindset and still drift into different categories of finite thinking. And so this is a good lesson for all of us. And so, but what I remember this gentleman talking to us about was that Jack Welch, you know, was really good with things like disruption and embracing change and and building products that people wanted however 
He also talked very candidly about when he moved over to Home Depot and was in that seat, he prioritized the relationships that he had with his employees down to the the very lowest tier. And he even ended up flipping the tier of how the organization even understood its hierarchy. And he made it possible to hear from people at every level because he wanted his eyes on that global us. And ultimately, that leads us to the last one that I would offer between the infinite and the finite. And it comes down to whether you're trying to produce products that people want to buy or a finite perspective, which is products that are going to sell. And this one, Sinek Cynic cracked me up because he went to the classic Apple Microsoft illustration, but he talked about having spoken back to back at their conferences. And this was years ago at the point when Microsoft had just come out with the Zune, which was their version of the iPod and MP3 player. And he talked about how it really was just a great product that was better um, than the iPod at the time. And he, he talked about how you know it was all positioned to sell and Microsoft was so proud of it but they were only looking at it in comparison to what Apple was building and what they could sell they weren't asking the next question of what are people going to want to buy and what comes next and so when he went and talked to the people at Apple and he told them that the Zune was better they didn't care They weren't trying to compete with what was going to sell. They were already looking at what people were going to want to buy, which coincidentally a year later was the iPhone, which made the Zune irrelevant. I thought that was a really good illustration. So many good illustrations in the world of technology that resonate so much. The Apple Microsoft one, which was so fun and makes you think of those PC, I'm a Mac, I'm a PC commercials, <laughs> um, which actually came up in the book. But I think really, and you can hear in Jen and I's voices, dear listener, right? This book, so fascinating mm-hmm. in this framing of what it means to have an infinite mindset. And I think for a lot of us, you know, we might, we might idealize that we're living that infinite mindset already, but I go back to the phrase, I feel called out, Jen feels called out. I frankly dare any of you to pick up this book and not feel a little called out if you're honest with yourself about how much we've become conditioned. And I'm gonna say, I'll be polite and say as an American people, I won't make it a global statement. I'll at least contextualize it to the culture in which I live. We've become almost conditioned to expect a finite mindset where we are living for the next day, maybe the next week, but we're short-term horizon thinkers Mm -hmm. and we've lost sight of some of the causes for which we fight. In fact, even in a socioeconomic way, Cynic pointed to the fact that some of the causes that are out there Um, around the globe right now aren't clear about their cause beyond an issue in the moment and Mm -hmm. therefore their cause never gets substantial steam or lives beyond a particular bill or a particular march or a particular injustice in the moment that gets them traction for long-term progress as a society. So really, really fascinating way to thinking. So I think it's really important, Jen, that we take our pull our listeners along 
I hope you're excited as we are as you're listening, have by now gone online and ordered your copy of Infinite Game if you don't already have it, because clearly there's a lot in here. But let's start to make it practical. When Cynic talks to us and gets you convinced very quickly, it took me about three pages to be on board, that the goal here is not to win, but to keep playing, he sets us up to hear about five essential practices that you need to put in place as an organization or as a person who's in this play versus win mindset. And Jen and I are going to break them down in the next segment, but I think it's worth just enumerating them quickly, Jen, so that folks can hear them and start Mm -hmm. to think it through before we get there. So the first one is advancing a just cause. We've brought it up already. We're going to get into it more here in a couple minutes in our next segment. But in order to keep playing, you need to have a just cause. And we're going to tell you why that is not the same thing as your mission statement. Yes, love that one. The second one is building trusting teams. He does an excellent job talking through what it means to prioritize the trust and the relationships in your teams. I love the police example he uses. So we're going to get to that one too. Next up, study your worthy rivals. And here, let's pay attention. Worthy rivals are very artfully chosen words. He did not say choose your competitors because as soon as we start talking about competitors, we've slipped back into finite thinking and that win mode. So that's a really fascinating one. But number three, study your worthy rivals. And then number four, I love this one because it talks about (laughs) flexing. So great. Number four is prepare for existential flexibility. Existential flexibility. Some of these others you can, I mean, they're pretty easy to hear and know where he's going. But existential flexibility is defined as initiating extreme disruptions to advance the just cause. Super fun. And Laura likes it because he talks about Walt Disney. Yeah, I, you know, that's actually pure coincidence. It's beautiful because not only does he use Disney as the example, he constantly says exercise the existential flex, which I just find to be an awesome, awesome phrase. So like pretty much everything I love, had he talked about my dog in that chapter, would have been the best um, essay ever written in my entire life. So all the wonderful things in one thing. And then number five for keeping playing, not just winning, is demonstrating the courage to lead. And not just to lead, but to lead utilizing this infinite mindset, which takes an immense amount of courage because like we've already established, we are in a world that conditions us to the finite. So you gotta step out, man, if you're ready to have the courage to lead in this infinite mindset. So all really exciting stuff. Jen and I are gonna take you all out for some real talk, which is gonna tie right into this concept. And then when we come back, we're gonna break down those five things um, for all of our listeners. Let's have some real talk, Jen. And here it's actually (laughs) as inspired by Simon Sinek's afterward in Infinite Game. Um, He does make the point in his afterward to point out that this whole concept of finite versus infinite thinking is absolutely applicable to all games. He actually says, and like all infinite games in the game of life, the goal is not to win. It is it is to perpetuate the game, to live a life of service. I got to tell you, if I didn't already like Simon Sinek on page 223, when he wrote that in the afterward, I was (laughs) full out love because This is real talk, right? Ultimately, what defines some of the leadership we're going for here when we, in doing this podcast and talking about work that matters, and in the big takeaways from a book like The Infinite Game, it's realizing that are you here to live a life of service 
or a life of selfishness. Mm -hmm. And I think that very quickly takes me back to the real talk. That is what better place to apply what we're learning about today in the infinite game and what I hope all of our readers learn when they go read the book themselves if they haven't already, is that we can apply this to the relationships in our life. And let's just go right to the one that hurts so good, the marital <laughs> relationship, right? Like if yeah. you're in the marital relationship to win arguments and to win at parenting and to win at who does the laundry and folds it the best, you're in for a world of hurt. You need to be in a relationship like that so that is about continuing to play the game of marriage. And I hate to use the word game there, but please take it as intended, right? So true of all these relationships, right? I think it applies to marriage, friendships, coworkers, all of these oh, things. Oh, for sure. And and that is the thing. We slip into the, and this is just the easiest one, like you're saying, where you can see how easily we slip into it. The whole scorekeeping, the whole who was right, who was wrong. But anytime in your, you're in a relationship, it's, it's because it matters. And so if one person wins and the other person loses, then by the very nature of being in a relationship, everybody lost. And so there's no... There's no advantage there. And so being able to see that so clearly and then use it as a as starting to really figure out where we have these mentalities across the board in our lives of, oh, gosh, yeah, that's how quickly I do it in my relationship of, you know, who's done the most lately or who's accomplished this. How easily do I do that in other places? And it's also the easiest place, too, where you, you see kind of it's that legacy question, right, of, you know, early in our life, we think, OK, here are all the things that I'm going to do and the ways that I'm going to succeed. But you watch most people at some point make that shift to what am I doing that's going to outlast me? And I mean, I'll go to a favorite Andy Stanley again. Here, his whole thing about, you know, the most important thing you do in your life not be some, might not be something you do, but someone you raise. And at some point you get that mental shift. And, you know, and I, in my, in my line of work, <laughs> I do sit with people in some vulnerable places, particularly at the end of life. And I can confirm what I'm sure most people have read there too, which is that people's regrets are never about a lot of the things they haven't, haven't, have and haven't done it all gears toward what they have created and established that's going to last beyond them so just huge that we are trying to play an infinite game so i think that's fantastic real talk folks everything you take out of this episode get real and think about how you apply it in a life of service beyond what you do to work but also how you live I'm thinking that our listeners at this point, Jen, are thinking this could be the infinite podcast because we are so <laughs> jazz we are so jazzed about this book that we're gonna go on and on and on. So, dear listeners, we promise you, and you can see it on the screen before you, I'm sure, we are going to eventually cut this conversation off. But let me just take this opportunity to say again that if you have not yet read Simon Sinek's The Infinite Game, pick up a copy. Fantastic read. I assure you, Jen and I are gonna keep coming back to this one over and over in podcasts to come. And I think one of the first things that's a great thing, and it goes back to this list of five we gave you right before the Real Talk break, is this concept of having a just 
cause that Sinek points us to in this book. So he essentially sets the stage that in order, once you've said, yes, I want to be an infinite thinker, I want to be an infinite leader, I want to be an infinite company and keep playing, in order to make that happen, the first thing that you really need in place is a just cause. Mm -hmm. Jen, can you talk us through what is just cause and go ahead and differentiate for us the difference between that and some things like why and mission and all those things that everybody's probably going yeah i've heard of that before no you haven't exactly and this is what i'm gonna say definitely felt called out because the instinct when you hear this is to think oh this is just about being do-gooders this is just about the fact that you you can't just care about money and he even says he's like you're gonna just think i'm anti-capitalist and but you have to keep reading because he's not. And he he creates this clear separation between the fact that a just cause is not your company's um, charitable outreach initiative then and the things that they support that, uh, you know, are good. But also, let's be honest, get you some good publicity. Um, it's not that. It's not your your mission statement. He it gets really personal. He says it's not even that company that gives away part of its products and that has that written into its DNA. And there's lots of companies out there. Tom's was one of the forerunners of our time, but the whole, you know, buy one pair of shoes and they give a pair away. That's awesome. That's amazing. Props to those kinds of organizations. But Cynic is working really hard for us to understand that that is not a just cause. A just cause has to be a specific vision of the future that does not yet exist and it has to be so appealing that people will make sacrifices to get there. In other words, it has to be bigger than us and bigger than now. And this is where he really gets into this. If you figured out this just cause and, and what goes beyond, this is when you've got a vision. And again, you could go on and on and on about the difference between a vision and a mission statement. But this is what are we doing that contributes to the world in a larger way? And, you know, it's interesting, Laura. This is one that I, I had to really slow down and think about because as a nonprofit, it's easy to think, well, of course we have a just cause, right? Like, A, we're not making money. And B, you know, why would we even do it if it wasn't about this bigger thing? And yet you see nonprofits all the time that exist for a specific thing that's only right now. And so trying to keep pushing into what is something that is resilient and even, and this one feels dangerous and even a little too feely, but I love that he used the word idealistic. What's something that pushes so hard that you go, is that even possible? That's a just cause. And I thought that was fabulous because I think all too often what we do is we establish these goals or these missions that are almost intentionally achievable. So what happens mm -hmm. when you achieve them? Right. I, I, I mean, and I know that seems like a very simplistic way of looking at that, but so what happens when you achieve them? Are you done? Do you fold up shop? Do you say, hey, everybody go find a new job? We've checked the box. Mm -hmm. there's, an, there's an essence of progressiveness here. How are we helping, in, and this gets into that service part, how are we helping the good of all to progress forward? And I have to tell you, my poor husband, I kept quoting and yelling at him to come into the room as I was reading this book. It was a very interactive experience for him. Um, Cynic 
even though he is not, he is, you know, sitting in London writing this book, or I assume he was in London writing this book, um, <laughs> he, he continually referenced back to the founding fathers of the United States as a beautiful example of setting this infinite mindset in place that continues to fuel Ameri the American idealism to this day. You can say whatever you want about some of the challenges we have in this country. There's idealism and a just cause that continues to drive this forward. And mm -hmm. you start to think through that and you can see it in this terms of resiliency. It, it never stops applying. It's idealistic, right? All men are created equal. Um, you know, while we would like to think that that should be a box we could check, there will always be work to do to strive for equality, mm -hmm. right? And I thought it was a beautiful way to point us back to that. In fact, I got to tell you, it made me feel good about the American journey we're on that, that I've grown somewhat cynical about of late. I'll be completely honest, right? And he helped mm -hmm. me see that it's intentionally idealistic to keep us progressing forward. And the same thing it, um, is impressed upon us when it comes to our business lives. How do we do things that press us forward? And it's not so idealistic and crazy that you don't feel like you can't strive and reach for it, but it's also not so obtainable that you can slap, you know, hit your hand and go, got it, next. Mm -hmm. And I loved that about what he was doing. So it's about being for something and just pull, pull, pull you forward to the point that people are willing to make sacrifices for you to get there it's a beautiful thought it is and one of the fun things he did was he even played with some of the language that we use and he talked about the ceo as the only office that we're not really sure what that means whereas you know the cfo and the coo that second letter defines their function but ceo gets lost and it gets tied to short-term gains and that can be really disruptive but what i loved was his suggested shift to to having a CVO as your chief vision op, um, ah, officer, chief vision officer of saying, you know, who do you have that is keeping the eye on that bigger picture that should also be on probably more of an equal playing field than with your CFO and your COO um, versus that hierarchy. That's a whole nother conversation that we don't have time to get into all of it, even though we want to. But he he points to this idea. And I even love that he used the word that this idealistic just cause in some ways should be unachievable. Not in the mm -hmm. sense that it becomes so ridiculous that you don't pursue it. And this is where your illustration is just so right on that achieving achieving perfect equality is is probably unachievable in this broken world that we live in. And yet the pursuit of it makes us all better. And he talks about the fact that when it comes to just cause, better is better than best. So Jen, I, I cannot leave this just cause topic without pointing to the just pivotal chapter to me in this entire book, and I'm being dramatic with all intent and purpose. <laughs> chapter five, where he talks about yeah. the responsibility of business, a chapter that is noted as, as having been revised over time. Oh, um, yeah. And here's where Jen got to get into her um, learning her economics a little bit more yes. than you're probably comfortable with. So I'm so excited for you that you got to do, go through a little bit of um, special time with Friedman in this particular chapter. Yeah. I'm not going to get into all the economic theory as much as I would love to. I probably need to host a breakout group for nerds that would like to unite and really break down just this chapter. <laughs> but Cynic did an incredible job here of framing for us how we've taken the notion of capitalism that Adam Smith originally laid out, which was about progress for all people. 
and good for all. And we've adopted a capitalism that Friedman laid out that's about money and noting the differences in those and how it's changed our motivation mm -hmm. and taking the good of capitalism and frankly eroded it. So I'm sure somebody's gonna slap their steering wheel right now and go, oh Lord, she sounds like a socialist. I thought, you know, I expected better of her. <laughs> um, you know, listen, I'm a capitalist through and through and through. And actually what he's done here is given me words for why I'm so distressed about how our economy and our world works today, and yet I'm still fundamentally an economist. And I think ultimately it was summed up really nicely in a quote from Henry Ford, and humor me, Jen, I've gotta read the quote, where it says, <laughs> a business that makes nothing but money is a poor kind of business. And Sinek goes on to comment about that particular quote. Companies exist to advance something, technology, quality of life, or anything else with the potential to ease or enhance our lives in some way, shape, or form. That people are willing to pay money for whatever a company has to offer mm -hmm. is simply proof that they perceive or derive some value from these things. Capitalism is about more than prosperity. It's also about progress. Amen. Yeah. Preach, brother. Yeah, yeah. good job. You you had it. And I think Laura and I would both be the first ones to tell you that if you do pick this up and you're only going to read one chapter, read chapter five. Um, yep. I think you should read more of the book. But if you're going to read one chapter, read chapter five. It was definitely my most underlined chapter in the book. And there's also stars and brackets and all sorts of exciting things. So, OK, but then we've got to keep moving because we do want to give people a taste and you can dig into the rest. But the second essential practice is building trusting teams. So this whole idea here is that both performance and trust have to be valued on a huge scale organizationally because trust actually promotes higher performance. He does a great job using an illustration of a Shell oil rig and bringing in, um, to use Cynic's words, a hippie, um, a hippie lady who happened to catch the CEO on a really good day and he was willing to let her come and hang out with his rough oil rig crew and talk about feelings. <laughs> but how ultimately this process of creating and establishing and prioritizing trust actually led to high productivity, high performance, higher well-being all across the board. Trusting teams, huge. Absolutely huge and really points to this whole point that as a leader, what you're going for is not managing to results, but rather what you are trying to do is be responsible for the people that are responsible for results. And in order to do that effectively, you need to develop a culture or an environment where people feel like they could be vulnerable and trust the others around them to support them in their vulnerability as opposed to take advantage of it. And where people understand that they are not the problem, they have problems that we all need to figure out together how to work. So said differently, he talks a little bit about some experiences that Malali had when he first took over at Ford and the fact that nobody wanted to call any of their projects red. Mm -hmm. Everybody comes in with green, good to goes. Well, you know darn well you're not getting your, you know, losing your rear ends in the market um, and everything's going green. And you're, you're not, if you're losing money, everything can't be green. And he kept calling his folks out on that. And it took a lot of courage. And he had to rebuild a team that was willing to come in and say, I have a red, I have a yellow, we need to work on this, I need help. 
Um, so this one was a really good reflection for me and it actually made me start mentally going back through a lot of meetings and going, am I getting shown reds and yellows? Because to me that just became a sign of what kind of a leader am I that my folks feel like they can say, I have an item that's in the red, help. Yes. I have an item that's in the red, what can we do together? And that willingness, because it is vulnerability, right? So mm -hmm. I love this, and I think it's really important to understand that part of living the infinite mindset is building trusting teams that can think beyond what how it's gonna impact them in that moment, but rather how they can rise together again towards the just cause. Yeah, and I really liked that Cynic does a good job here talking you through the fact that, you know, it's it's easy to write this off and think, oh, well, that works in some organizations. That's not here. But he really gives you the breadth of, no, this works and this is important. Every organization, every type of industry, this is an essential conversation. And yeah. then this is where Cynic definitely earned some more props with me personally is we've talked about the fact that the book made us feel a little bit called out and in the next essential practice of a worthy rival cynic uses himself and he calls himself out and i admire that there was just a piece of you know he said let me tell you exactly how i walked myself into this finite thinking and he talks about his relationship with adam grant knowing that both of them are in similar fields they do some of you know they've given some of the most watched TED talks they do the same kind of speaking and organizational management thinking and he let himself believe that Grant was his competitor and that and that just bred insecurity and he transitioned that to how can you view those same people not as competitors but as worthy rivals people you can learn from that make both of you better and that's why like Laura said in the first segment these were carefully chosen words and as soon as we feel ourselves moving into that competition that's a red flag of oops slipping into a finite mindset versus oh my gosh there's someone doing something very similar to me they're having success what can I learn how can I pursue how can I see them as a rival worthy of my attention and not the energy of my competition. I really appreciated this and the fact that he gave this new context and the reality that if you are so focused on beating a competitor, you again, you lose your just cause, you lose what you're ultimately trying to do and you've not progressed. All you've done is focused feverishly on one singular point and then once you beat that rival, what's next? What do you do next once you've, quote, won that game? And it leaves you just standing there going, so what now? If that's how you have derived your fuel. If you are Stephen Curry and all you're thinking about is how you're going to beat the other team, what happens when you get the win that makes you want to keep going out and practicing your jump shot endlessly all day, every day yeah. to go out and keep winning? That infinite mindset that just keeps you going because all what that worthy rival has done is helped you see where you have opportunity to get better and it's made you work on it, but it hasn't taken your eye off a goal, a just cause that has actually nothing to do with that worthy rival ultimately. It has to do with what you're trying to do again to progress the good of society. And I think this entire concept, quote girl coming back at ya, this is where I actually, Jen, I put a heart in the margin of my book, which is probably embarrassing for me on so many levels. But it, at this point, 
Um, Sinek really sums up this concept for me when he says, in the infinite game, we accept that being the best is a fool's errand and that multiple players can do well at the same time. Yeah. And I think that that is just, listen, I am the first person, I've embarrassed myself for weeks straight in this Rules of the Game series, acknowledging that I want to win and I love rules and what is, how do I know I won the game? But I think that entire sentiment is really cool to stop and think about. Listen, when we sit down to play cards in my kitchen, someone must win. That is a <laughs> finite game. There are four <laughs> hands, there is a score, there is a winner. But when I am raising my children, walking the roads of my marriage, working in my church, working at my business, there's nothing finite about that. And multiple people can do well at the same time. Boom. There it is. There it is. All right, so so let's get to the next one. So we have covered Just Cause, Trusting Teams, Worthy Rival. Let's get to the existential flex. Jen, I'm going to let you cover it because I get too excited <laughs> and talk too much. You get this one. No, it's great. I, and, you know, if you feel yourself flexing wherever you are, go ahead and do it. But the existential flexibility is this idea that you not only can handle disruption, but that you would have the capacity to initiate an extreme disruption or reset a strategic course to more effectively advance the just cause. Now, again, this is not something that you're just shooting the moon, which is another illustration he uses um, when he talks about um, Kennedy and the moon project. And, And it's not that. And it's not shiny object syndrome. You know, what's the craziest thing we can go after? This all gets tied back to the just cause and if your eye is clearly on what is this big picture idealistic thing that we exist in the midst of that we're just determined to keep playing when you're fixed there then you're going to be willing and you're going to have the wisdom for when it's time for the existential flex to and now I'm going to go to my verbiage from a few weeks ago throw the grenade These are the moments when you go, I'm going to disrupt the whole system and I'm going to do it because there's trust in relationships and because it is worth it to pursue something that is bigger than the stability that we have at the moment. And so, of course, he does go to Walt Disney and the illustration of him um, leveraging his life insurance to go after the dream of Disneyland. And the goal of Disneyland was not to have a nice amusement park because, again, that's not, you know, this thing. He wanted the happiest place on earth. And he did. That was and he wanted big. the happiest place on earth that anybody could have access to. Right? Yes. And of course, some people will raise some questions about that in modern Disney and what it costs to get in there. But right. I think that, um, <laughs> I, and I realize, and that's part of Disney's growth story, I think, right now, or, yeah. or not growth story, how they're going to handle that. But um, I loved that. And I will tell you, as a lovely add on to this book and this illustration, if you have Disney Plus and you have not yet watched the Imagineering story that tells the story mm. of how Disney built that company and on through Disney and how other CEOs have hurt and or helped that just cause that Disney laid forward, it's actually, it's really fascinating. I'm sure, I'm actually kind of curious if Simon Sinek has watched that and has continued to draw on that story. (laughs) Disney is a great example. I do want to say before we move on from existential flexibility that there is a distinction here. Existential flexibility is about flexing and shifting and moving to stay after your just cause, which remains your focus point. This is not a shiny object syndrome. 
example. So I just don't want any of our listeners to mistake that, hey, this looks like a better market. Let's reboot and go over here. That is 100% not what Cynic is trying to get at. What he's saying is, where do we need to reboot or shift? Because it's a better path to our just cause. It is not shifting the cause. Yeah. And I think to that end, let's go ahead to the last foundational item here. And it is the courage to lead. And I think part of the courage to lead is staying focused on your just cause. Mm-hmm. And Cynic leaves us. It's one of the shortest parts of the book, which is interesting, but it's very profound in that he essentially says, I've laid out for you a very clear paid playbook. I think he knows that he's probably challenged 99.9% of people that feel called out by reading this book. But now the question is, do you have the courage to actually go lead this way. Mm-hmm. And it leaves, I think any reader who reads this book is gonna put this down and go, oh my gosh, what will I? What do I need to change today, tomorrow, and moving forward to move on the path to being an infinite leader? Because it's not an easy thing. No. It's a beautiful thing, but just there is a just cause in the cause of trying to become an infinite leader, if I can like build on that concept, right? There's, there's some idealism there that we all need to strive for. Right. And, and I mean, and that's exactly it. It sounds great and it, it sounds amazing and you buy into all the arguments and then you realize that it requires sacrifice. It will cost something to get there. And whether that cost might be as high as your position and your role, are you willing to make the hard choices that, you know, cost you the quarterly profit projections or don't sit well with the stockholders? And I mean, there's lots of pieces at stake. And I think he does a nice job using the illustration of CVS no longer selling cigarettes back in the day as as a drugstore making that move and saying, if we're about promoting health and wellness, then we can no longer do that and it cost them it cost them a lot but ultimately allowed them to get really clear on their just cause and what they were promoting and what they were about that was so much bigger than the people that were sitting in the room making the big paychecks tied to the stock projections in that moment and that's a big deal and those are the hard calls and those are the ones that get remembered but not usually until decades and decades later. So thanks, Jen. That's a great place to end that. And let's close by noting that one of the things Cynic wants you to understand about this infinite game that we are playing is that this game does not have a set of rules and there's not a checklist that you can follow in order to play the infinite game. This is a mindset that you need to choose to adopt and fight for every day of your being because it won't be easy. And I think that's really important. So you're never going to see Cynic. You're never going to see the Sisters of Industry post an Instagram um, that has here are the five things to do to be an infinite think, infinite mindset thinker. It's not going to happen. You have to actually let this become part of what you do and your mindset in order to get after this incredibly um, auspicious goal, but I think a really exciting goal that says, how do I make this not just about playing to win, but playing so that I can keep playing? Jen, I was inspired by the book. I think you were too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think probably both of us are going, do I have the courage to go lead this way now? Yeah. Thanks for joining us for today's book discussion on The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. We hope that you've enjoyed these episodes with the sisters, the sisters in reading, and we encourage you to buy this book, listen to this book, underline this book, and let us know what you've learned not only from it, but from what we've talked about from The Infinite Game. Thanks for listening. 
We hope that this episode and this book make you laugh, make you think, and help you grow in doing work that matters. Thank you.